For many, Flannery O'Connor is the preeminent literary interpreter of the American South. From a farm on the outskirts of Milledgeville, she wrote stories that pierce conviction and lay open the mysteries of faith, fear, and what it means to be so imperfectly human. On Tuesday, Georgia College reopens Andalusia, the historic farm where O'Connor lived and wrote during the final years of her life. In this edition of the Arts Update, I talk with Matt Davis, Georgia College Director of Historic Museums, about the renewal of this local literary landmark. Matt, of course, we're out here um, on the porch of Andalusia, the home of Flannery O'Connor. Uh, this is a, a major a focal point for our community. It's definitely a major focal point for Georgia College. Um, the house was gifted uh, fairly recently, um, and uh, in the time between uh, now announcing this opening of the house back open to the public, um, there's been a lot of work done around here. I thought we'd start off our conversation by asking, how did Georgia College approach the preservation of Flannery O'Connor's Andalusia. Thank you for letting me be here today. As a property on the National Register of Historic uh, Places, we wanted to approach this project in keeping with the Secretary of the Interior Standards for Historic Preservation. And so we have taken an approach that is going to preserve the original fabric or material of the property, be cognizant of the landscaping as it appeared during the time period that O'Connor was in the residence, and also wanted to protect the original collections and materials that we found on site. So we have taken uh, a mix of an active and passive approach in the work here. Probably some of the most active work we've done is involving the landscaping, in which we've removed a lot of non-original overgrowth, uh, scrub pines and trees that came onto the property over the years that were not here during the time of O'Connor was in the residence, and trying to restore some of those historic sight lines and viewpoints on the property that would have been truer to the time that O'Connor was in the residence. And the house, a great deal of it was more or less preserved from the time period here. So it was basically cleaning, stabilization, repair, fix a crack in the plaster walls, repaint a room, refinish a floor, and then take some attention to the collection or the materials that were left behind, such as her furniture, her draperies, her clothing, and give them a once over, which our team here did. So in, in this way, it's been a, it's been a great deal of work, uh, but it's been I think a way that to transform this property to something O'Connor definitely would have recognized and certainly been more true to the time that she was here. Now, of course, uh, this is a newer, I guess I'd say, addition to the collection of O'Connor materials that the university holds. Uh, there were other materials that um, were with special collections with the library. Um, was there any uh, kind of marriage of um, these different artifacts? It's funny that you should ask that. In working with our colleagues in special collections, they had actually been gifted by Regina O'Connor, Flannery's mother, several objects that came from Andalusia, such as bookcases and O'Connor's desk and chair. And through an arrangement with the special collections, we've been able to loan those objects back to the house where they came from. We've also received some material culture as well from special collections, and we've done a great deal of research in that space. And vice versa, special collections come out and looked at the space and compare some of their contractions. And this is where just a small example of that window, that collaborative scholarship. From O'Connor scholars to fans of historic preservation to people interested in dairy farming in the mid-20th century, there's a lot of different approaches that come into this. And as the liberal arts university of the state of Georgia, interdisciplinary is what we do. And this site is a perfect example of that. It's a mirror of all the different interdisciplinary studies, uh, analyses, and projects that can be done here. So it's O'Connor is the focal point. Her writing and her life here is the focal point. But there are some other tacks that can be also brought into that mix as well. 
Um, is there any kind of uh, perhaps energy or excitement that you feel or others who've been working on the project uh, to kind of bring those items back and get it back to, uh, as you said, a place that Flannery O'Connor herself would have remembered? Well, well I think it, into this too, the unlike the other properties that we have had to deal with in some of the restorations at, the, at Georgia College, the collection was here. The, the vast majority of the objects that O'Connor knew were still left in the home. Uh, have been painstakingly preserved by the family and then the foundation that gifted this to Georgia College. So our job was to kind of separate what absolutely was versus what wasn't, which was very minuscule. And then attack and go after the pieces we know where they were that we could perhaps bring back to fill out some of the rooms. And that is exactly what we've done here. As a preservationist and as a public historian, to be able to find those original objects, to put them back into the room and to, or to verify that they were here is a, is a great, great joy for us. And I think for the casual visitor seeing some of those objects or artifacts they've read about or seen in photographs, to actually see it and having that experience, that sense of place is going to be a powerful thing, for, especially for fans of O'Connor. Was there a good visual record to work from to redo those? Actually, the house is extremely well documented, um, from photographs to plans to mentions and letters. We were able to piece this together very clearly. And also, we have some living sources of memory that helped us out greatly from the family and outside of the family. And so, of course, uh, many people in our local audience are going to recognize you as the director of Georgia's Old Governor's Mansion. I myself um, was interested in this idea that, um, you know, the Governor's Mansion is a landmark of Georgia history, um, but also Milledgeville's architectural heritage. Uh, here you have a home that is, is very unique because of its connection to a person, uh, but it's also extremely representative of a, a time and a place um, that would have been extremely common at its time, uh, no longer common now, uh, but in that sense, uh, this house wouldn't have been built perhaps in the same way with the same thought in mind as the old governor's mansion. Is there any difference in approaching the preservation of a place that um, perhaps did not have that kind of exceptionalism baked in from the very beginning? That's funny. That's an interesting question. In actuality, the home itself, Andalusia, proper dates to about 1850. After it was purchased by the Klein family in 31, there's some additions that were done in the 20th century. But uh, I think it's a good indicative example of a plantation plain style home that has provenance to the 19th and 20th centuries. So certainly it's, it's greatest period of significance as 1951 to 1964 when Flannery lived here. But in terms of, of, of preservation techniques or exceptionalism, honestly the tact and the tactics we take are identical. It doesn't matter if it's a, a one-room carport to a grand mansion at Newport, Rhode Island, you know, you the preservation techniques and ethical statements and ways in which we approach this work are all exactly the same. We research, we examine, we do investigation on the structure, and then we use the best evidence and as many primary sources as possible to put the story back together. And Andalusia has spoke a lot, and a lot of that material is here, so in a lot of ways this will be an easier restoration to do than the Governor's Mansion but it has very unique challenges too as well. So, uh, no, I'm excited to tackle this project and all we have done is accomplish the first step. We have stabilized and repaired. The restoration is still to come. We have a lot of work to do to fully restore the site, its outbuildings and the house itself to truly the period O'Connor lived in it. So we're glad to have completed this first step, but we have many more to go. And as uh, you're at the end of this first step, are there any things that stood out about the work that you've done thus far to you? To speak for myself and my staff, I think we've all been extremely impressed just how much of it was still here. Flannery's here. Her clothes were here. 
her furniture was here, her draperies are here. The experience and the spaces you see are here. We just had to uncover a little bit of that. But I, I think in terms of the house itself, just the stabilization and repair of the plasterwork and paints gives it a much truer vision. I think where the, the significant transformation that's happened is on the landscaping. You can see the sight lines of the property. You can see the historic fencing. You have a wonderful viewpoint of landscaping features that have been long obscured from the house just through reforestation that we've brought back into play. And certainly there's still plenty of trees and landscaping features of the property. It has not been clear cut, but it is a much truer look to what was here. And I think visitors will be struck by that immediately when they come on the site, especially people that have been to the property previously. In what do you hope to impart to the visitors who make that trip here to Andalusia? There's a mix of people that come to Andalusia. There are people that are just curious about the site and its history. There are die-hard fans of O'Connor. There are people that may be passive fans of O'Connor but have an interest in her life and times and want to know more. And then there are some that just want to explore the grounds and property. I think if we can leave people with an understanding of O'Connor's life, her mother's work here, what life was like on a dairy farm in the mid-20th century, some information on her stories, and leave them asking questions to perhaps want to go read more O'Connor or learn more about this time period than we've done our job. Is there any aspect of that that is special for a literary figure, a person who uh, kind of wrote this landscape into what we remember them from? Well, I think if uh, from a person looking at this, let's say from, if you're a fan of the displaced person, actually see the dirt road that the peacocks were walking down almost shortly, or if, if you're a fan of good country people to see the barn that inspired the barn and that story where his artificial leg was located, then there's going to be people that will look at this through a multitude of lenses. And so there's something really for everyone here. If you want to sit on a bench and read a story, if you want to come and write, if you just want to sit and experience the landscape and walk around, or if you just want to see what life was on this dairy farm, we can accomplish a lot of things here. And how has it changed uh, your perception of this famous uh, Milledgeville, uh, this famous American writer? She was funny. Um, uh, an extremely dry but very pointed sense of humor, which I appreciate an extremely intelligent woman, suffered no fools, gladly or willingly, but had, a, a, I think, a very clear and discerning eye of what life was like in the South. And I think where people have really started in recent years to appreciate O'Connor's writing, it's a mix of darkness, it's a mix of pith. There is struggle there with religion and her place in the world. And, you know, being in a situation that you're facing uh, the sort of Damocles, if you will, knowing that you're on borrowed time every day, that you're dying from a disease that there at that time was no real treatment for. It provides a lot of layers to that person. Now, Connor's complex, she's funny, she's witty. I would have think if I'd have known her in life, I'd have really enjoyed her company. I think I'd have really got light to have been in her presence. That way that you just described her, especially um, I, I appreciated the sort of Damocles hanging over you and living on borrowed time. Does that manifest in the way that the house is set up, the way that the furniture is that you know of? The greatest myth of O'Connor was that she was locked in Andalusia for her entire time here and never left. No, no, she traveled. She went to Europe. She traveled to literary writings and things, but her health was guarded. And in increasingly over time, it became more guarded. I think that visitors will see that the second floor, more or less, was just her guest bases. They lived on the first floor of the home. What had been the formal parlor became her bedroom just for ease and convenience. And so in a period of time in this country before a lot of attention or thought was given to those of us that may have faced a disability or limitation, this home has an excellent kind of a viewpoint of what that lens of time and place looked like for persons that were a little disabled or needed some help getting around. Um, in that last uh, 
response, I believe you may have um, gave a shout out to the names of the peafowl that are out in the back. Everyone's always curious about them. Can you tell me a story about uh, these peafowl? O'Connor had a flock of variety of different birds on the side. We currently have two peafowl, a male and female on property, Aster and Shortly, which are inspired from characters from this place person. And uh, it's fascinating to watch them. You know, O'Connor herself said words to the effect that I'm just a bird breeder living in a small town in Georgia, which you have that kind of flutter hearing that space and just watch them. And uh, kind of the beauty and the mystery of, of this creation of, of God, as O'Connor would have viewed it, it's kind of a fun thing to do it. But, I mean, they're, they, they flutter, they flap, they look around, and uh, we hope you will come say hello. I just want to turn it over to you now. Is there anything I didn't ask you about, or is there anything that I did and you'd like to go back and place a greater emphasis on? Well, let me tell you about we open on June 19th, which is a Tuesday. And our hours of operation now on site will be Tuesday through Saturday from 10 to 4 and Sunday afternoons from 2 to 4, with all of our tours beginning on the hour, and the last tour begins at 4 p.m. Um, admission cost is $7 for adults under the age of 60. It's $6 if you're over the age of 60, and it's $2 if you're a student from 6 to 18. Any child under 6 is free, and uh, we hope you'll come out and see what we've been up to. Well, Matt Davis, I want to thank you very much uh, for taking the time to talk to me and our radio audience here on um, WRGC 88.3 FM. Thank you for having me. Have a good day. Andalusia opens to the public every Tuesday through Sunday, beginning June 19th. For more information, search for Andalusia on Facebook or call 478-445-8722.